Anybody recognize that? You know what that's it? What is that? I'll give you a second. Comment on Facebook if you know what it is right now. Tell those you're with in the room. Let's just, let's just soak that in a little bit. All the memories, they come flooding back, don't they? It's summertime. You're a kid. And what happened? I'll tell you what happened. You flipped your lid. Ice cream! Ice cream man is here! Mom! Ice cream man is here! He's here! Mom, mom, mom! And you run around the house and you look for change everywhere. You go into the seat cushions on the couch with all that other grimy and nasty stuff and you go into your mom's purse and you'd get all the change you needed just enough. And then you'd wait. And you'd wait. Well, because you were seven and you had like bionic hearing back then and you could hear that music from 10 blocks away. And so you would get your change in your hand and you'd sit by the window and wait and wait until the music got louder and louder and, and then he turned on your street. <sighs> Didn't you just love waiting as a kid? It seemed like your parents made you wait for everything, didn't it? We had to wait for our parents to stop talking to their friends, wait in the car, wait at the doctor's office, wait on the bus to come, wait to open the presents, and wait till after dinner to eat our dessert, and, and wait for an hour until we could go swimming after we ate. Yeah, you know, I'm still not really sure about that one. And you can take it from me because I was a trained aquatic professional. I was a lifeguard. But don't get me wrong. I mean, I still use that wait for an hour pseudoscience on my kids. And, and let me tell you, if you're a parent and you're not using that, well, you're just missing out on one of the best behavioral modification tactics as a parent that I know. Your kids have never behaved as well as they behave the hour between after they eat and before they go swimming. But this morning, we, we aren't talking about how to manipulate your kids. That really wouldn't make a very good Sunday morning topic. We're, we're talking about waiting. You know, like when you're late for something really important and you hit every light in town on your way there. All you can do is wait, isn't it? Or, or when you're late for that same really important thing, but your kid can't find his shoe, you wait. I mean, I could help him, but he's 15 now, not five. So I wait and wait. Oh, just love waiting. Waiting's hard, like math and science hard. Today we continue our series called The Life of Paul. Last week, Jerry talked about the change that happened in Paul's life. He went from being someone who terrorized followers of Christ to becoming one himself. And if you're interested, there are a couple ways to dive in just a little bit deeper uh, during this Life of Paul series. One way is for you to join us in the Ridge Reading Challenge. We're reading together right now about the Life of Paul in the book of Acts. Another way is to be a part of a four-week short-term online group where we're discussing the life of Paul. And I want, to impersonally, I want to impersonally invite you right now to do that with us. 
You can check it out here on Facebook in the comments for information about how to do that uh, or in the description uh, of this morning's topic. This last week, our online groups discussed the change that happened in the heart of Paul when he encountered Jesus. That was a pretty big deal. Paul was the kind of guy who, who didn't do anything halfway, and this was big to him. Remember last week, Jerry said he was a man of grit. He had a history of being all in and really well known for his drive and determination. I recently read Paul described in these following ways, highly focused, goal-oriented, confident, energetic, hardworking, sense of urgency, argumentative, and passionate. And my favorite was this, determined to do whatever it takes. That's my favorite because that's our vision here at the Ridge, to do whatever it takes to reach our community for Christ. Are you familiar with personality tests like Myers-Briggs or the Enneagram? Well, they're just personality tests that organizations use to help people understand each other and their organization. If these were around back in Paul's day, he would have been a type one Enneagram, which is the reformer. If Paul had taken the Myers-Briggs evaluation, he would have been a commander, an ENTJ. Myers-Briggs describes the commander ENTJ this way. It says, someone with the extroverted, intuitive thinking and judging personality traits. They're decisive people who love momentum. They gather information to construct their creative visions, but rarely hesitate for long before acting on them. Besides Paul, some famous ENTJs are Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Margaret Thatcher, Jim Carrey, Steve Jobs. Can you just imagine what a guy like that is going to do after he encounters Jesus in a way that just turns his life upside down? Now, when I have something happen in my life, and I can rarely wait to get to it when it's an exciting thing. When I got a new toy when I was a kid, I would play with it until the batteries wore out. When I got my driver's license, I went driving that day by myself. When I got graduated from college, I began working in my field of study that very month. And when I got married, I went right to the honeymoon. Yeah, you get the picture. So this exciting and life-changing thing happened to Paul. And what do you think he did? Let's check out what he said in his own words. And, and this is Paul talking here. He says, you know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how violently I persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews and my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. Whoa, okay, all right. So Paul seems to be a little full of himself here, doesn't he? And, and is he bragging about how good he was at persecuting followers of Christ? Well, really, that's what a ENTJ or a type 1 Enneagram looks like when they're at their worst. But thankfully, Paul didn't stay there. Paul goes on then in this verse to say this, but even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. 
He's talking here about the experience that he had with Jesus on the road to Damascus. If you recall, he was on his way from Jerusalem to Damascus to actually gather up more followers of Christ to take them back to be prosecuted. He continues here talking about what happened next. He says, when this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human being. Instead, he says, I went away to Arabia and later I returned to the city of Damascus. You see what that says right there? You see where it says, I went away to Arabia? That part there, at first glance, we tend to, we tend to see it as inconsequential. Sometimes we gloss right over phrases like that. Let me ask you a question. If you're playing along at home, you can answer this in your group there. Uh, you can answer it on Facebook as well. Uh, here's the question. How much time did that phrase, I went away into Arabia, represent in Paul's life? Go ahead. I'll wait. You can answer. Was it a day? I went away to Arabia for a day, and later I returned to Damascus. A couple days? A few days? A week? A few weeks? Maybe it was just an extended vacation. What's your guess? Would you believe that those five words, I went away to Arabia, represent three years of Paul's life? So this miraculous thing happened in Paul's life, and God led him somewhere to wait for three years. Let's look at Jerry's map to see where this is. Jerry showed us last week this map, right? Here's Italy. This is the Mediterranean Sea. Over here is Damascus and Jerusalem. Okay, and Jesus uh, encountered Paul on his way to Damascus. Well, when we look at this map, Paul went away to the desert over here, way over here. This space right here and over, that's Arabia. Now, when I think of desert, barren land, I can only think of one thing this. This is the kind of place that I picture when I think of where Paul was. And if you're still playing along with us at home, you get bonus points if you can name this fictitious location and this picture. Comment here on Facebook again or shout it out to those that you're with. Here, I'm going to give you a closer look. Does that help? The two sons are a hint here. You need another hint? Okay. Zoom, zoom. Ah, I am your fa father. Does that help? You get it? If you're a Star Wars fan, then you'll recognize this. That's the planet Tatooine. That's the home of Anakin, Luke, and the sand people. To me, that's what Arabia looked like back then. Desert, barren land. Let me emphasize, that's to me, that's what it looked like. So what it looked like, or exactly where it is, isn't as important as why he was there. God leads Paul away in solitude for three years to wait. Can you imagine how hard this was for Paul? Do you think he had a calendar crossing off the days I don't think the guy we described earlier was much for sitting around. He's the guy who said, I run the race. Well, you don't run races by waiting. 
You get in the fast lane. Yet God said, wait. I feel like Paul, he could have been set back a little maybe by this at first and said, but God, I'm ready for this. Remember how good I was when I was against Jesus? I mean, I'm ready to be for him and all about you now. So man, let's do this. But God says, not yet, Paul. Wait. Have you ever had to wait for what God has next for you? Have you ever been in a moment like that? Are you in a moment like that now? A moment when you've been praying for one specific thing and it just doesn't happen. Maybe even a moment when you are absolutely certain that God has something better in store and it just doesn't come. Are you waiting on life to return to normal during a pandemic? Hey, me too. Maybe you're waiting on direction in your life. Maybe you're waiting on that certain someone to join you and you can do life together. Maybe you're waiting for answers about the health of someone that you love. Are you waiting on the waiting to end? I know you are. You wanna know how I know you are? Many Ridge volunteers and staff have been doing something amazing over the last month or so. They've been calling everybody in our database just to check in, just so people know we care and God cares. We started with a list of over 7,000 names. One of the things that we asked when we called was we asked people, how can we be praying for you? This is a list of the things that we've been praying about for you. Many of these are examples of people that are waiting on answers. Some are items that don't require a lot of waiting, but several of them don't have an end in sight. Loss of a loved one, sickness, relational conflict, uncertainty about the future. The list goes on and on and on. Many of us find ourselves in moments of waiting. So what are we supposed to do when God leads us into our time on our life when we have to do that? What can you learn about the time you're in right now? Let's take a look at what we can learn from Paul. God led Paul into the desert to prepare him. What was his purpose? God used 1,095 days of that time to prepare and develop Paul for ministry. He was going to be an apostle, even though he wasn't one of the original 12 that got to hang out with Jesus and learn from him for three years. Naturally, people would also, they're going to question his authority to be an apostle. But he did spend three years with Jesus, just in the desert. He was going to be the apostle God used to reach the Gentiles or the the non-Jews at the time. People needed, Paul needed training. He needed time before God could release him. Three years in the desert, that's what he needed. Desert experiences, though often frustrating, sometimes even painful, prepare us. We learn from them. 
This was a time that God renewed Paul's mind and his heart so that his relationship would grow deeper with God. Very few of us can grow deeper in any relationship when we're racing through it. Relationships require time to grow, and that's what God did. God didn't send him there alone and say, well, good luck, Paul. I'll be back in three years, and then we're going to get started on all this amazing stuff back then, so I'll pick you up in three years. No, God was there with him, teaching him in what Paul called astounding things. So let's take a look at Paul's recount of that time. He says here, whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know, only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. Paul himself didn't fully comprehend all that was going on at that time, what his experiences were like with Jesus, right? But here's what he says, right? He says, was I I in my body? Was I out of my body? I don't know. But what he does know is this. He heard things so astounding that they can't be expressed in words. God was preparing him, teaching him, there with him in the midst of waiting, doing amazing things, things so astounding. This was really just the beginning of the astounding work that God did with Paul and that Paul got to witness and be a part of. God was strengthening him and preparing him for the journey ahead. And the book of Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 says this, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. The word here that's used for trust in the original Hebrew is actually translated in different versions of the Bible in three different ways. Some say trust, like this one does. Some say hope. Some say wait. It can be read this way, but those who wait in the Lord will find new strength. Some of you may not know this, but my life as a pastor only began a year and a half ago. Not just here at the Ridge, like anywhere. I was 47 years old and I became a pastor. Now, if you were to ask me 20 years ago if I was going to be a pastor, I would have laughed probably a little too much, awkwardly so. Throughout my life before becoming a pastor, I, I had seasons of waiting. I still have them. Times when I didn't know why something was happening or why it wasn't happening. I asked God a lot of why questions. Why did Vicki and I have to wait through years of uncertainty with infertility when we were ready to start our family? Why did we have to journey through months of pregnancy with our second child, knowing that survival after birth was a statistical impossibility? Why did we have to wade through the swamp of marital difficulties in a season in our relationship? Why are we having to wait right now on a cure for an illness 
with one of our children that may never happen. And did I really have to spend the years of my professional career feeling unsatisfied with the purpose of all of it? Only now am I able to look back at this and see what God has done. God's used story after story in the Bible to show me that one of his principal plans is to prepare us while we wait. Moses had to wait. David had to wait. Elijah, Joseph, Esther all had to wait. Jesus himself even had to wait like 30-some years before his ministry even began. We can learn when we're waiting. Where can we find moments to experience astounding things with God? Maybe we need to seek out moments, a few moments a day or an entire day. Possibly you're in waiting right now. You've been waiting for answers to your why questions. When I ask why, I know exactly what I want the answer to be. I want it to be crystal clear, like thundering cloud, handwriting on the wall, telling me exactly why I'm waiting, what I should do about it, and how I should fix it. That's what I want it to look like. And I'm learning that now maybe that's not how God works in the waiting. The question that should be asked is, what do we do while we wait? What do we do while we wait? Well, we can rethink. Our plan is often to race through it. God's plan is for us to rethink. We just like waiting so much, we want it to be over as quickly as possible. We want the line to be shorter, the Amazon package to get here quicker. And when it's something that is physically or emotionally difficult to us, we really are justified in our desire for it to be over as soon as possible. A Dutch writer and pastor and theologian, Henry Nouwen, said the following. He said, for many people, waiting is an awful desert between where they are and where they want to go. It feels like that sometimes to us, doesn't it? An awful desert. God's plan is for us to resist the urge to race through it. He wants us to slow down to evaluate his plan in the waiting and what really matters. When Vicki and I struggled through infertility and eventually the loss of a child, I had to rethink what really mattered. As a young couple, we had it all planned out. The timing on buying our first home together, followed by our plan for exactly when our two children would enter the world. And when that didn't happen, my why us questions slowly, and I mean very, very slowly, opened up to asking God, what his plan was for us. Rethinking is asking the question, what's your plan, God? And what is it you want me to see right now? This moment in our life was the first time that I saw the faces of so many other people in similar situations. I honestly, I didn't know before this just how common it was for someone to lose a child at birth or to have infertility issues. Before I began to consider God's plan and what it really matters, I didn't see the faces 
of those hurting deeply because of loss or hope of a dream of a family someday that wasn't going to happen for them. He wants us to rethink. We need to reflect. Our plan is often to wait in the silence. God's plan is for us to be quiet and contemplate his promises to us. There's very little silence in my life. I tend to fill it with stuff, with something. God is asking me to reflect while I wait. Today, I'm able to reflect back on times in my life that God has brought me through. Sometimes we say it this way, when God was faithful in our lives. That simply means faithful in his promises to love and care about what's best for us in our life. We can use personal examples of when God was faithful over the years in our lives. But you might be thinking right now, I, I don't have those kind of examples in my life. Well, I'm going to let you in on a little secret here. God's faithfulness is to bring all those who follow him through the waiting, to provide us a way for us to stand up in the waiting. That means we get to use other people's stories to reflect and his goodness. For example, I can look at dear friends of ours who uh, went through similar situations and knew, now have an adult child in their life with an incurable illness. And I can see how God was with them through that. That's my God too that was with them. The same God. The God that was with Paul in the desert is with us. He's with me. Paul reflects when he's waiting in prison. He reflects in Acts 26, 22, when he said, but God has protected me right up to this present time. He was recounting what God had already done in his life. He was reflecting. The last thing, we need to release our plans to be in control. And if I'm not in control, then I'm out of control. And I am not a fan of that feeling. Here's a couple of memes uh, that might help you identify if you're a control freak. Here's the first one. Me. I need some help around here. Also me. No, not like that. Here, I'll do it. Here's another one. As long as everything is exactly the way I want it, totally flexible. Uh, we have somebody on our staff uh, here at church who shall remain nameless that likes to say, I can be flexible as long as I plan to be. He means it. God is asking me to resist the urge to be in control. He wants me to be still in the waiting, to let go of the things I want to control. He wants me to find my trust and hope in him. Author David Timms in a book, Sacred Waiting, says this, we may agonize over the future and lose sleep over the not yet, but Christ calls us to peace, contentment, and confidence to faith. Such faith may not resolve any confusion, but produces confidence in the midst of it. So how do you release something? You literally offer it to God. Say something like, God, I can't do this. Or I'm, I'm not able to do this without you. 
I'm giving you control of this in my life. This isn't mine to figure out any longer. It's yours. And I'll be obedient with what you have asked me to do right in this very moment, right now. I will trust in your plan. He's asking me to release while I wait. If you feel like you're in a desert right now, if you're waiting and, and you're trying to make sense of it all, and, and you want to dive a little deeper personally into this topic, let me suggest the book that I just referenced for you, Sacred Waiting by David Timms. This link will be in the description and in the comments for more information. Tim's will help you walk through your season of waiting and understanding how God works in the waiting. When we find ourselves in time of waiting, we need to intentionally slow down and rethink what really matters and is essential in our lives. Sometimes we need the silence to silence our surroundings so we can reflect in those challenging times. Reflect on what God has done in the past and his promises to us in the future. And lastly, we need to release control. Release control of a situation and embrace that God is in control. When God says wait, we need to rethink, reflect, and release. He's there with us and using this time to shape us and mold us into who he wants us to be. Through all of my why questions, I can see now how God has shaped and taught me and continues to mold me as he sees fit. I don't have it all figured out yet. And I still have to remember to rethink, reflect, and release on things that happened in my life 20 years ago. This is what I know today. He's asking me to trust him while I'm waiting. He led me through all of that to this, to be prepared for this very moment in my life. Let's pray. God, thank you for being there with us in the desert moments of our life. And some of those are really difficult. We know that you're there with us. And I pray that we would walk with you through those in a way that help us see your plan for us that help us focus on what's important, that help us see the way you've been faithful in our lives through the years, and that help us give it over to you. And I pray for anybody right now that's going through one of those moments, those deserts in their life, that you would surround them with the people that they need, with your love and your care. And it's in your name I pray.